Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Armand Childers, and this is the New Books Network. Uh, I have the greatest pleasure of having uh, Michelle Boyd over here, and we're, we're going to talk about uh, her upcoming... No, it already came out in December, right? That's right. It's out. Yeah, wonderful book, uh, Becoming the Writer You Already Are. Uh, hello, Michelle. Hi, I'm Munch. It's so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. It's very nice to have you. And before we start, I have to say this is my favorite uh, book on academic writing so far. <laughs> Thank you. I was so, I mean, it was an emotional roller coaster reading it also right after I defended my dissertation because it kind of re- allowed me to reflect on all the all the points and different processes that I I went through, especially when I was submitting the part about mourning, uh, the ideal version of your uh, of your manuscript spoke so well to the last three months of my trying to submit. So thank you so much for writing this book. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so glad that that was the. It's so interesting to hear you say an emotional roller coaster because I think. The metaphor, I mean, writing is like that, right? Doing your dissertation is like that. Writing a book is like that. But also using the writing metaphor, I think anyone who uses that tool can have a similar experience of a lot of emotions happening. And we never really talk about emotions in academia. So, um, yeah, I'm glad that proved to be a helpful experience for you and not not one that was too overwhelming sounds like no no definitely i mean i guess like if i if i read it a couple of months ago it could have been overwhelming maybe but because it's kind of in the past i can i can be a bit more detached from the <laughs> from the yeah anxiety um but before we, i mean i i i i loved i would yeah i'm already filled with questions about the writing metaphor, the process. But before we go into that, can you tell us a bit about uh, yourself and your journey of becoming a writing coach? Yes, that's a very long uh, story, but I will try to keep it uh, very short. Um, I am the founder of Inkwell Academic Writing Retreats. I founded Inkwell in 2015, so it's been a while. And um, prior to that, I was an associate professor of African-American studies at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And um, I, you know, I did all the things you're supposed to do when you're an assistant professor. I went through the process. I, you know, I wrote, I produced, I had a pretty seamless tenure process. And so um, I... I also had wonderful colleagues, you know, I, who I really deeply admired. I was so excited to have a 100% line in African-American studies. So there were many lovely things I think I'm trying to say about um, my life as a professor. Uh, but I also just realized it was not what I wanted to be doing uh, by the time I, I I got tenure and I had a moment to actually just sit back and think, ooh, okay, now I have some time and space uh, to think about what I want to do. What is that? And it turned out not to be being a professor. So um, I spent a fair amount of time 
doing some work as a, I was the associate professor of a research center at UIC. And during that time, we began leading writing retreats for graduate students. Uh, it wasn't even my idea. It was the idea of the, uh, my colleague, who was another associate director at the Institute. And I sort of, she organized them and I volunteered to coach them and Within the first one, I was hooked. I mean, we had 10 students. I think the next time we led the retreat, it sold out in an hour. I mean, I realized that people were really getting something out of the retreat besides just the experience of the retreat. There was something else happening. And it quickly became clear to me that this this was what I'd been looking for. <laughs> this is what I wanted to be doing. Um, and so I made a five-year plan about how I'd kind of do that on the side and, you know, I'd keep my job as a professor. And then my husband got a job offer outside of Chicago, which is where we were. And it became clear to me that, oh, I could actually just jump in and do this now. So um, I jumped in and did it then. And that's how Inkwell was born. And here we are today. And that is the short version, <laughs> even though <laughs> it took a while. So yeah, so that's yeah, me. I can imagine. Um, and how did you uh, how did you decide writing this book? And what's the what's the story behind the book? Oh my gosh! You know, I was talking to someone about this, and after I told them what I'm about to tell you, she said, "Oh, it's so great to hear this because this really is a book that's 20 years old." And I thought, "Oh my goodness, she's right!" And I hadn't ever really thought of that. So I began the, f I wasn't thinking of writing the book, but the first time I started thinking about a writing metaphor, I was still a faculty member. I was probably in my second year as a faculty member. So around 2003, somewhere between 2002 and 2004. And I was having trouble getting things done on time. And so decided to try to lay out, well, you know, how long do things take me? How long does it take me to produce a draft? And in the process of trying to figure that out, I actually started laying out the phases of any writing project I go through. And as I started laying out the phases, I sort of realized, oh my goodness, this seems to me to you know, be akin to the process of gestating, gestation of a baby, right? And then birth, which is a very tired metaphor. I didn't know that at the time, but, you know, I think it's pretty common. Um, and so it really was as a result of my attempt to, to solve a problem in my own writing when I was still a junior faculty member. Um, and then at, I think this was probably after I got tenure, I thought, oh, you know, um, why don't I try to take that idea and turn it into an article for, you know, a teaching portion of my professional journal? And then the article came out and um, an editor came to me and said, hey, are you thinking about writing a book? And um, I was not thinking of writing a book, but I said, of course I am. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to publish it? <laughs> and so that's how that happened. It was very slow. It was not intentionally growing into a book, um, but it just sort of, um, it bloomed into that over time. Mm -hmm. 
And I mean, it is such a well-researched book, and and also, I mean, a lot. I mean, uh, I love reading about writing, and I have read quite some books so far. And um, what struck me about struck me about this one is that it is it is systematic and it gives you a very usable tool to work with, which I really, really appreciate. And that tool is the writing metaphor. Can you tell us a bit more about like what a writing metaphor is and how does it, how is it useful for writers? Sure. A metaphor is, or the writing metaphor is um, a description of your writing in which you um, choose an object or a process that represents, you know, what does it look like when you are writing? And so the question I like to ask people is, you know, what does writing feel like to you when you come up with your metaphor? Um, and then we, and the reason that I offer a metaphor as a way to try to figure out what your writing process is, is because one of the ways that we can best uncover, um, well, let me back up a little bit. Um, a writing process is basically just the way you get from um, ideas in your head to words on a page. And we all have a writing process, but the process that we use is often not available to us. We don't know what that is, or it's it's not um, high in our awareness, right? It's a form of what's called tacit knowledge, right? You know it, but we don't know you know it. And so one of the best ways to try to get at um, what your process is, is to just reflect. I mean, it sounds kind of simple, but when we look at the literature at, you know, about tacit knowledge, uh, reflection is, is the way that we raise up our awareness of what that tacit knowledge is. And a metaphor is just one way to, a kind of elaborate way, but it's one way to reflect on your process. Um, and so we come up with uh, an object or, an, or a process that represents um, what the experience of writing is like for us. That's literally all it is. And I have to say, I've been sort of amazed by the, the metaphors that academics come up with because you know we think of, of ourselves as stodgy and unimaginative and not creative, but the things that people you know, say when you ask them this very simple question are just, they're beautiful and they're amazing. And they just reveal so much about what's lovely about writing, what's hard about writing. Anyway, I think I've gotten quite far away from your question, but that's what a writing metaphor is. It's a description of um, one thing in terms of another. So it's a description of our writing in terms of an object or a process that helps reveal um, things we are not necessarily able to see about our writing process if we're not reflecting in that way. <laughs> and then, I mean, what in your experience with writers especially, what happens when people are aware of these processes? Um, a lot. I mean, I think one thing that happens is people become very emotional when I ask them to do this because... It reveals difficult things. It might remind them of things they loved about writing, but that they feel are lost to them now. So often people will have a strong emotional reaction. 
Um, the other thing that happens is it's like with anything else. Once you become aware of something, it is so much easier to handle whatever challenges come up around it. And so um, just knowing, for example, that, um, I don't know, that when you have to uh, revise, you're a lot more stressed out than when you have to initiate ideas or vice versa. That gives you, um, it sort of prepares you for the possible challenges that are going to come up in any given writing session. So, so just being aware is very helpful of, of what the problems are. And then I think another thing it can do is it it um, really surprises people because they realize, oh, there are actually some things with writing that either they don't bother me or I'm quite good at them. And so this vision I have of myself as, you know, somehow lacking as a writer, other people have already figured this thing out, you know, um, everybody else learned something I didn't. What people come to see is, oh, actually, I, I do know some things. I do feel comfortable. I'm not, you know... A complete loss as a writer and so it, it begins that process that I'm hoping that the metaphor allows people to do which is to really reclaim your writing process and reclaim your trust in yourself as a writer uh, and know that you can really count on yourself you can get this done and I mean that's also one of one of the things I really liked about the book is like it's really I mean the book is really about the title it's becoming the writer you already are and it's not in that sense prescriptive it's not giving you um, the best practices that you should follow to be a good writer it really co- allows you to cultivate uh, and kind of uh, acknowledge your own process as a writer and then imp- and yeah uh, own it in a sense instead of distrusting it all the time yes yes i'm glad you said that because that's what i wanted the book to be and that's how i was hoping that it would feel um and that is the thing i most want to offer is a way to really figure out who you are without feeling like you have to be living up to some vision of someone else (laughs) that you have which we tend to do a little bit. I do it, right? Um, this person is a great writer. They write so quickly. Why can't I be like them? Um, so yeah, that's what I was hoping for. And I mean, in the meantime, so it's it's a lot about cultivating this writer that you already are, but also at the same time, being aware of the external factors that makes writing challenging like the institutional context, uh, structural inequalities um, that makes you, can you can you talk about kind of the balance between the two or the kind of how the different th- dynamics kind of come up in the process where, as you're reflecting on your writing? Yeah, so, you know, I, I start the book by describing what the, challenges are that make writing so difficult. I mean, I think besides um, recognizing that you have your own process, what I really want people to come away with is the sense of, oh, of course I get stuck sometimes, right? Because once you kind of lay out 
all the things that almost seem like they're arrayed against you as a writer, right? There's nothing to be embarrassed about. There's nothing to be ashamed of. We're going to get stuck sometimes. And so, as you point out, one of those, I, I named three kinds of challenges, the inherent, the institutional, and the interpretive. And the institutional really um, is about a, a, it's about the fact that writing feels really risky for us as academics because um, it functions as the, as the task through which we gain access to the, the professional community that we're trying to be a part of, right? Um, that's what a dissertation is, <laughs> it, right? I mean, it is a written work that illustrates um, the legitimacy of your um, membership in the community of scholars. And so um, every time we write, we are um, writing sort of within that context. And often we're highly aware of that, right? And this is something I think can get lost. It's not just out there in the ether. It's not just something that we experience when we're on campus talking with our advisor we experience the sense of risk in the act of writing. Um, and so we have to um, kind of have a little sympathy for ourselves, right? That's a, that's a lot of pressure when you're trying to sit down and write. Um, and also, if we're aware of that, then one of the things that we can do is, as I said before, um, draw on, we know that, that's going to present a challenge for us. Think about what are the ways that we can overcome those challenges before we sit down to write and kind of have them at the ready when we're in the midst of, of the writing project. And I mean, like the framework you used about the internal, institutional, and interpretive, there are a lot of the, these kind of frameworks that you offer to understand the writing process itself and throughout the book. And one of One of the ones that I really liked is the hand, heart, and uh, he head. Can you can you tell us a bit a bit more about that? Yeah. So um, one of the kinds of challenges that that um, we face when we're writing is the challenges that are inherent to writing. Right? They're they're a part of writing, no matter you know what your profession is. You don't have to be an academic to face these. And um, There are three that I talk about. The first is, you know, the challenge of the head, which is that writing requires a lot of cognitive energy and activity and skill, right? We have to do a lot of thinking. Um, and thinking isn't as straightforward as the word makes it sound, right? The body and the brain are going through a lot when just in trying to um, give us direction about Um, how to connect our thoughts that we're moving parts of our body in order to get something down on a page. There's a lot going on in the head, right? And then the hand um, is the arena of kind of the technical uh, challenges of writing. And I, I really concentrate on um, the fact that we have to master a certain genre when we're writing. And we don't think about genre a lot. I think we don't use that term a lot as academics, but it's just a, a writing that follows a certain format, right? A certain structure. And we have to learn that. And we have to learn new structures all the time. So 
it's inherently difficult because of the cognitive work it requires. It's inherently difficult because of the, the, the technical work, that's the hand. And then, of course, the work of the heart. And that is the work of experiencing all of these fears um, that come up when we sit down to write and still writing, right? Still sticking with the writing session and not going off and, you know, doing laundry or (laughs) checking Facebook or any of the other things that become much more tempting when we're faced with the challenge of the heart. So all three of those are happening every time we sit down to write and sometimes it's just a little too much. So, you know, um, we all face those. And, and my hope is that once we see those, we can give ourselves a little bit of a break um, when, when we want to run away from the writing. Yeah. And I mean, like one thing I feel like we talked least about is the hard part of the whole equation. And um, I mean, I, yeah, I just, exp- I mean, I knew for me, What what is difficult about writing? I think is all almost always is the emotion, like dealing with the emotions of it. And um, but yeah, I mean, there are a lot of books about how to get the writing done out, what to do with the finished project pro- product. But I've read so far very little until this book, uh, very little about how the process itself goes. And yeah, I mean, there's this also, yeah, as you said, we don't talk about emotions in academia, which is very important to do. Um, and why, why do you think, I mean, what, maybe this is also a kind of question about writing studies in general, but like, why do you think there is this lack about writing about the process itself? Or do you think it, there is, and I just, maybe it's just my ignorance. So you know, there, there is a lot of work, you know, among researchers on writing process. So especially cognitive psychologists, you know, have spent a lot of time thinking about this and talking about this, but you're right. It doesn't show up a lot in the guides that we use as scholars to try to help us with our writing. Um, and I don't really know why that is, but I, I, because I think that's two questions, right? It's, why haven't the people who do this work, um, why haven't, why hasn't their work become part of the canon of writing guides? And I suspect it's partly because they don't, they're not in it to write writing guides, right? Like that's not what they, you know, they, they put it out there. And so, you know, I, I imagine that, you know, we can't fault them if that's not what they want to do with their work. Um, so, so I don't really know the answer to that, but I'm, I'm wondering if part of the reason is that, you know, process is a really fuzzy idea. It's, it, you know, it, it puts us in what I think feels like the realm of creative writing, and it magnifies the fact that we're not totally in control of what's happening when, we're, when we write. And I don't think that's an especially comforting idea to, I mean, I don't, I, I find it very uncomfortable and, and I think it, it doesn't fit in with the notion of science, right? Even, or, or I should say systematic work because there are lots of scholars who aren't scientists. Um, 
So I think there's something uncomfortable about it. Um, I, I also think it doesn't fit with the push towards productivity as the measure of your worth as a scholar and a human being. Um, because process actually is um, all about being open to what's happening and, uh, and about relinquishing control when you don't have it. And um, it doesn't fit well with this idea that if we, you know, if we just use the right organizational system and if we're really committed and if we really wrote every day, then we would, of course, easily be able to get out the two or three articles per semester that are expected, um, you know, by elite institutions with no aware or no um, attention to the fact that the requirements for getting a job or getting published now are so much higher than they were before, right? And they're actually quite ridiculous, I think. So I, 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 and that's a vague answer because it doesn't have an actor, right? I mean, I'm not sure why individual actors, um, individual writers haven't paid that much to it. You know, it's also because I guess to be, let me, let me give what I think is a more fair answer. If you're trying to write a guide for somebody who's freaked out about being productive, what you're going to do is write a guide that emphasizes how to write quickly and to meet that demand, right, to be productive. Um, it is, I think, there's a way in which what I've offered in this book is not what people want to hear necessarily, which is, you know, step back, think about your process. I know it's scary, but you can learn to trust yourself. That's not a quick fix. It's not a guaranteed fix. And and when people are looking for solutions, you know, you, you want to give them something that they can really walk away with. So I, I hope that what the book does is say, well, I don't have one, you know, surefire solution for you, but I have this approach that you could take that over time, if you are able to mine it, will really serve you well and, and be a great foundation for all m- many of the challenges that are going to come up for you as a writer. Um, yeah. And I mean, it may not be a quick fix, but it's definitely a sustainable, a more sustainable approach. And I mean, it's also, I mean, this is, to me, this is a book about how to coach yourself, how to be, how to be the, how to become the, your own self, uh, your own writing coach, basically, which, which is something I really, really appreciate. <laughs> um, and you also, I mean, you, Another kind of uh, another framework that I found really useful reading it is the kind of the different stages of the writing process that you describe, like initiation, saturation, incubation, and elimination, clarification, mm-hmm. submission, and hibernating, hi- hibernation. And I especially <laughs> appreciate the hibernation part. <laughs> I bet. I, I mean, I I've been a part of a writing group and. Um, I try to tell people that if you send something off, you need to put time in between before you start doing something else because it just simply doesn't work to next day think like, okay, I'm going to start the next chapter tomorrow. You're, I mean, you can try, but it it doesn't really work. However, like however the pressure and stakes are high, So can you tell us about like the whole process and yeah, how you think about these different steps? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, part of what I try to point to is this way of thinking about the creative process broadly and the writing process specifically. And it has a number of stages as you, as you laid out and they're not stages that we go through, you know, one, two, three, four, five, we weave in and out of them, you know, depending on the day, depending on the minute, you know, we can move in one writing session from a moment of initiation where we are, you know, kind of coming up with an idea and really capturing something that's occurred to us uh, and then move into, uh, you know, an entirely different stage, which is, you know, let's say incubation, which is that stage where you're actually not actively working on the idea anymore. You're just letting it rest and simmer. So there's no, um, you know, there's no one way to move through these phases. And these are not phases that I, you know, invented. These are um, phases that have been observed by other uh, writers and scholars. Um, And so why I draw attention to them one of the reasons I draw attention to them is because they they each require different kinds of work from us and they lead to different kinds of outcomes. And the reason that's important is because one of the things I hear from scholars all the time is that they didn't quote really write, unquote. You know, and part of what I am hoping to point out by bringing attention to the phases of writing is writing can look a thousand different ways. <laughs> and it again, we have this pressure to produce. So we're always looking for more words on the page or maybe something's been trimmed down because we revised it. But much of the time, writing doesn't look like that. And you've still really moved your project along. So, um, so part of what I want to offer is a different way to think about what it means that you made progress that day. And just to go back to hibernation, which you started with, it's one of the worst, right? I mean, nobody wants to hibernate. (laughs) Very few people I know, you know, find it easy to step back and say, okay, um, look, I just finished this huge project. I've been working on it for years. it really took a toll on me and I really had to hustle to get it out. I'm actually going to step back from writing for a week or two or for a month so that I can regenerate my enthusiasm. So my brain can take a rest. But when we do that, it's amazing how many ideas come up for us. It's amazing how much more, you know, people are always asking me, how do I get motivated to write? Um, one of the things that can really generate our motivation is to have time away from something and then ideas start popping up. But it's very uncomfortable because academia and, in fact, U.S. culture is all about working all the time. And so hibernation really represents the fact that some of the work of writing requires you to go against the grain of what's expected, and that's really hard to do. Yeah. And yeah, also, I mean, yeah, you cannot kind of 
it doesn't go into a word count, a page count. So it's, it's, yeah, it's also, as you said, like not writing, That's right. but it yeah. is writing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you also, I mean, in the kind of, in the book, you also offer, I would, I will, what I would call them like playful methods to kind of playful tactics to deal with different kinds of being stuck in different parts of this process. Yeah, Could, I tried would to. You like to. Would you like to tell a bit about that? Yeah, so so part of, um, you know, I, I've taught this um, tool, the metaphor tool, many times, but I, I don't usually have time to go into what some of the solutions might be for the parts of the metaphor that you realize, oh, you know, this is a little underdeveloped for me. I don't really... I can't really think of anything I do that helps me solve the problem um, that comes up in, you know, a certain stage of your, your writing process. So <clears throat> I wanted to spend some time offering some possible solutions that people can experiment with. Um, and so I try to offer a range because I know that these might feel challenging. So I sort of begin with things that feel a little bit easier and then offer some things that might be a little bit more difficult. So, um, you know, one of, I, I think, I'm not sure if you regard this as playful, you tell me what you think, but one of the things that I um, suggest that we can try to do is to um, make what I call a, a, a beautiful, um, a beautiful oops. And I got that title from a children's book. Um, and, and really it is the idea of purposefully making mistakes when we write. And I offer this as a, um, an approach, kind of a principle that you can use when you're in the initiation phase and that feels difficult. And part of the reason it can feel difficult is because we're so worried about having such a great idea, right? That we often don't let ourselves just actually think the idea out, give it time to bloom and to grow. And so my suggestion is actually purposefully mess it up just to give you, you know, a little bit of freedom. And so um, I think one of the suggestions that's in the book is, um, you know, start with an epigraph or a quote or an assertion that's the exact opposite <clears throat> of what you think. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then take up the persona of the person who believes that and write that instead. And one of the things I love about this is, you know, taking up a persona can be fun if that, you know, if that's something that you're, you're into, but also can get you really fired up, right? When, if you are really committed to an idea, just having to write out the, the opposite thing can, can really kind of get your juices flowing in a way that's supportive of your ideas. Um, but as is the case with any form of a beautiful oops, what it does is it gives you some place to start. So now we're not just talking in the abstract about this, you know, fully worked out idea that you have to have that's nuanced and complete and well defended. But no, you're just starting with this one thing uh, that's the opposite of what you think. And now you have a lot of things that you can say in response to that. So I don't know, Armash, do you think that's playful? Because maybe it's a little bit stressful. I don't know. What's your... What <laughs> I mean, I guess... Uh, I mean, the names of the different 
uh, strategies there definitely playful i mean like beautiful ups <laughs> uh, yeah i mean yes i mean they can be stressful but i don't think it takes away from the i mean i guess they're stressful because the st- because of the stakes attached to them <laughs> but ideas in themselves i think still like can be playful <laughs> And I mean, you also, uh, and yeah, I, I think this is going to be my last question. Um, you, you, and I mean, in the end, you turn kind of to the social social moment literature, and it's, and I mean, I think you're doing something wonderful in the last chapter by turning to the social moment literature. Can you tell us why the turn and? Like, what's the message you're trying to get across in this chapter? Yeah, you know, I think, as you pointed out, and when we first started talking, um, the the metaphor and really all of the book raises a lot of feelings. It can take you through a lot of feelings, and um, and the solutions that I'm offering can can be sort of they can feel a little risky themselves, right? I say that we write in an environment where that that um, makes writing risky, but then I say, well, um, why don't you try this, this other approach, which um, is all about slowing down. It's all about turning inward to your own um, writing process and maybe going a little bit more slowly if that's what's required. And that's a hard thing to do. And so I, I often get asked, you know, how am I going to do that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to do that work. And um, one of the things I see among people who, even if they're convinced and really would like to take up some of these strategies, they just don't feel the sense of entitlement. And I don't mean entitlement in the sense of, you know, uh, I deserve all goods and, uh, you know, and privileges, but I mean entitlement in the sense that um, you have a right to do what you want to with your writing. That is something that I, that I see that can get in the way of really being able to, pers- to, to pursue some of these strategies that might be a part of your process because they, they feel slow or they feel uncertain. And so I wanted to offer a way to think about how to get support for that. Um, And to to get support for going more slowly and to get support for the fact that when we do go more slowly, what, what we're doing is engaging in an act of power, right? We're refusing the logic of... Um, of fast production of work if we say we're going to slow down. And it's hard to do that on our own. And what I've learned as a retreat leader is that social writing, which is just coming together with other people, writing together, and then reflecting on that experience together, that social writing can really be uh, a lovely way to to give that support to get that support from others and to give it to others. And so I, I talk about the fact that 
one thing that helps us develop that sense of entitlement that, yes, my writing belongs to me, my ideas belong to me, my process belongs to me, and I can follow them, is um, actively working to develop an oppositional consciousness. And this is a not a new term among um, social scientists. Uh, and in fact, I'll be honest and tell you that I, you know, I hesitated a lot before I I wrote this part of the book because I wasn't sure if it would, if people would be able to see the connection between this idea, between this social movement idea and writing. Um, uh, but the idea is that an oppositional consciousness involves uh, several different kind of, um, I guess, characteristics or moves, but fundamentally. Um, describes the condition of having this awareness that that the conditions you're facing are unjust and a commitment to do something different. And um, the just to go through them briefly, the the four elements of an oppositional consciousness are that we claim an identity. Um, and in this instance, I'm saying that we claim the identity of being a writer, somebody who's not just a scholar, but somebody who's a writer, um, that we identify the unfairnesses that are part of the, um, the institutional context in which we operate as writers, um, and that we refuse to comply with them, that we do something different. We do something against the grain of the demands that are being put on, on us to overwork and overproduce, and that we see... Um, ourselves as being in shared struggle with other writers. So again, this is a concept that social movement theorists have used um, to to talk about lots of different movements. The civil rights movement is the one I think tends to be a little most popular, but it's definitely not the only one. And so I, part of my hesitance was, you know, writing isn't a social movement. Let's just be absolutely clear about that. I know that, right? And I'm, I also don't want people to think what I'm um, suggesting is that the way to overcome writing problems is to um, is to organize against the university. There is a place for us to organize against some of the um, logics in our university, but that's not the thing that I'm offering as a way to handle writing problems, right? But I still think the framework is a useful one that we see that we are writers, that we understand that we work in circumstances that are making writing more difficult for us, even as they're demanding more output from us, um, that we say, okay, but we're not going to merely capitulate to those demands and that we come together with other people to um, find a way to use our process and to follow our process instead of capitulating to those demands and all the fears that they raise. And social writing is one way that we can do all four of those things. So um, it's one of the reasons that I love reading leading retreats because when people come together to write and reflect on the process, um, it allows us to engage in all four of those elements of uh, writer's oppositional consciousness. And when we do it repeatedly, it helps us really strengthen that, that part of ourselves, that consciousness, and therefore 
um, be in a position where it's much easier for us to draw on our process, even when it's scary and intimidating to do so. I, I mean, I, I definitely agree. Like, I am a big fan of social writing. That's the only thing that got me through writing my dissertation. So, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I also want to say, right, everybody might not love social writing or they might not love the particular ways that we tend to see it now, right? So we, so maybe you, you like retreating, but you like to do it on your own, or, you know, maybe you don't want to get on a Zoom call and write with people. But I think the social part of social writing is um, being able to create a sense of connection to someone else and then engaging in a reflection on the process. And you can do that in a lot of different ways, right? So I also want to kind of offer it, but say that it can be tweaked so that it, it fits whatever way you know, you work. It's not a, again, it's not a, it's not a silver bullet, right? It's just one thing that I found that's, that can be very powerful. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for, first of all, writing the book. I am a big fan now. <laughs> And I really believe like this book should, should be given to graduate students on their first day of entering graduate school. Uh, it should be made available by the departments themselves. <laughs> um, and yeah, thank you so much for making time for this lovely conversation. Well, thank you for having me, Armanch. It's been so much fun. And yeah, I, I was a long, hard road of writing this book. And I'm glad that, um, that it's, you know, it's something that, that is bringing some value and I hope some hope about the writing process as well. Definitely. Thank you.